You're now diving into the fish tank. Sitting down with Seth living, OJ, Juice Man, ooh, and this is strictly for them true fans, yeah. golf fans, number one, one, of course y'all, this ain't no ordinary sports talk, I'm up in that fish tank. Welcome back to the Fish Tank presented by iHeartRadio right here on the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. Seth Levitt and the man with the best hands in the podcast business, OJ McDuffie, Juice. How you feeling today? You know, you haven't said that in a while, Big Seth. I thought you forgot about that. You know, <laughs> I what remember. I, mean? but I try to get a little variation. <laughs> uh, Mike always reminds me of how uh, everything I say is exactly the yeah, same at the beginning yeah, of these I things. It, so I try it. to, you know, diversify. Well, I appreciate you bringing that back, though. This okay, time. <laughs> stick with that one. If we're going to be consistent appreciate with anything, it. well, this is uh, has to be an exciting day for a lot of reasons. A voice that all of our listeners are familiar with, and a guy that knows a little bit about you and your college career so this should be a great time bill zimfer dies into the tank bill how you doing it's been a long time man i'm doing great it had been a long time and this is a real treat for me guys uh, great to be with you good having you man you know we always seem to get so many um gators on this show bill you know what i mean it's good <laughs> to have a penn state guy on for once man it's good stuff you know what too it was it was funny juice when when i was doing the games i always and jim mandich used to look, get a bit a little bit disturbed with me I always would uh, mention that, you know, we got a quality Penn State guy on this roster and <laughs> yeah. every time. In fact, one time for Jim, it was for either for his birthday or for Christmas or something. I got him a Penn State golf shirt and I got him a real nice one because I knew he wouldn't wear it if, unless it was really nice. And he still didn't wear it. He refused <laughs> to wear that Penn State shirt. Uh, the whole time. It, it, just incredible. But I reminded him about that a lot. Yeah, we have a similar dynamic on this show as yeah. well here. So I, uh, <laughs> I could totally see that happening. And I, I feel for Mad Dog yeah. in that situation. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. But, you know, so speaking of that, the majority of the people that are listening today know you as the voice of the Miami Dolphins from so 94 to 2001. You were in the booth doing play by play with the legendary Jim Mandich, who we just talked about. And actually, I would say you were in the booth with him probably more than anybody, right? That period of time that you were there. But I and, and I thought I was going to beat you to the punch, but we just discussed it here. <laughs> you also, before you got here in Miami, you're a Penn State guy through and through. And not just because ultimately what we're going to discuss here, but you attended Penn State. You went to school at Penn State. You cut your yeah. broadcasting chops there. And then you called Penn State games so you called, I don't know, almost all of Probably OJ's all, yeah. games uh, at Penn State. You missed yeah. his rookie year here with the Dolphins because you were still at Penn State. And then you come down to 94 and call all of his games as an NFL player. You have called more OJ McDuffie games than anybody in the history of broadcast. You know, I'm going to have to write that down. And OJ, don't be surprised if you buy. get an invoice somewhere <laughs> right, along the right. line. <laughs> I. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, it, it was uh, in, uh, interesting. Things I remember back at Penn State, one of the things I remember, OJ, and you'll remember this, I'm sure, it was uh, you ran a reverse uh, when Tony Saka was quarterback and you ran a reverse for a touchdown. Saka, uh, when we interviewed him after the game, claimed it was his block that sprung you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know, I said, I'm not, I'm not so sure he wouldn't have scored anyway, Tony. But uh, that was one play that stands out for me at Penn State. And then... When you got drafted at Penn State, and we used to do, uh, I used to go on draft shows every year uh, because I worked for sports radio in, in Philadelphia. 
And uh, I can remember 1993, I was doing a draft show for another city, and I had the Dolphins pick. And I said, O.J. McDuffie. And then son of a, it came true. And then the next year, uh, when I got the Dolphins job, it just felt, I don't know, it, it, it felt like I had a connection there anyway, that there was another Penn State guy there. Absolutely. And, and Saka, he didn't, he, I don't think he blocked anybody. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I know it was the reverse, but I think it was against Notre Dame that game. But uh, anyhow, Tony always took credit for stuff he probably shouldn't take credit for. But yeah. it's, it's, that's a whole different story. You know, as Seth mentioned, you know, your first time on the mic down in Miami was in 1994. Which means that, you know, your first game was an absolute monster. First regular season game was an absolute monster. That was Danny's return from Achilles injury the year before. Um, that first game back, a muddy, nasty day in the stadium. Um, him and Drew Bledsoe uh, threw for almost combined, what, 900 yards. And I think, you know, Robert Kraft had just taken over for the Patriots. And Wayne Huizinga was our new boss around here. I mean, so many things going on. You had Chula. You had Bill Parcells. You had so much going on in that game. And uh, tell us what you remember about that game. I mean, I know what I remember about it, Bill, but tell us what you remember about that game. Well, there were so many memorable things about that game. First off, you're right. You know, you know what it's like coming from Penn State, Juice. Uh, hey, we're used to 14 to 10 games, right? Uh, so just the fact that teams were going up and down the field was just exhausting to me uh, just watching it. Then, of course, Dan's uh, fourth down touchdown pass to Irving Fryer was uh, just incredible. At that, and, and that's another one. We come down to that. You got a fourth down and what was it, five from about the 35-yard line, and you're saying, okay, if this was Joe Paterno, he probably would punt and right. let his defense win the game. Uh, you could try a long field goal, and if you're going to go for it, maybe you try a little short pass and, and pick up the first down, and here's Dan throwing into the end zone for a touchdown to Irving Pryor. Just incredible. But maybe the most memorable thing to me was that if you remember that year, there was a baseball strike. So there was no baseball in the month of September. And uh, you talked about the rain for that game, OJ, and the, the, the infield became almost like a swampy area. And all of a sudden, we get near the end of the game. And it always seemed like you guys on offense were always in that swampy area. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so during the game, Jim Mandich goes on a rant about how the baseball guys should just give it up, fill that dirt in with grass, and let's play football. Well, Wayne Huizenga also owned the Florida Marlins. And it gets to a point where I, I, I'm feeling something happening behind me in the booth. There's some kind of ruckus going on. And I turn around, and Wayne Huizenga is in the booth with veins popping out of his head saying some things that went very nice about Jim's mother. So uh, I, I, at that point, I just kind of put my headphones back on and turned back to the field, and I thought to myself, what, what did I get myself into here? <laughs> that was just, and that was just the beginning. Oh, man. Yeah, I remember, like, Big Seth, I mean, I remember trying to return kicks in that mud. So I understand what Mad Dog was talking about there. It was, it was a tough environment for anybody out there trying to, you know, trying to make a play out there. But, I mean, the quarterback still had a blast, it looked like. Yeah, it didn't slow <laughs> Drew and, and, and Danny down one bit. So, you know, I, I'm curious about that, though, Bill, because, as you said, you just spent your entire career as, as a college broadcaster. Now you're in the NFL. Things have changed a little bit, and you expect that. Uh, the product in the field, obviously, was different. But to have the owner of the team – kick in the door like, uh, you know, an old Western movie or something. And, and then, uh, you know, those guys are having a showdown. 
what were you used to versus what you saw there? And was that something that you started to say, oh, wow, is this what it's like in the pros? Yeah, that, that was uh, the beginning of it. But the, the first thing was that uh, it was much different because at Penn State, trying to even get any kind of access to the football team was trying to, like, to uh, if you would try to breach the Pentagon. You could not get any access to anybody. I can remember when I got the Penn State job, I went out there for a couple of days just to get acclimated and, you know, meet people and such. And I called the athletic office, called the football office, and I said, what time's practice? I'd like to come out and watch practice. And the secretary just said, uh, hang on a second. <laughs> and I got transferred around and transferred around. Seems and like I an finally got, I think it was Frank Rocco. Do you remember yeah. him? Oh, yeah. OJ? Yeah. Frank Rocco said, um, you can't go to practice. And I said, Really? And he said, yeah, we don't, we don't allow anybody at practice. And I said, okay. And that was, that was the first indication I got. But other than, you know, I, I had, I, every Friday I would interview Joe for a pregame show and things like that. And he was always very nice. But just the organization there was much different than Miami. I can remember my first day down in Miami. I went down and uh, one of the PR staff took me for uh, a tour of the facilities and we go to the elevator. Elevator opens up. It's Coach Shula. So he says, hey, uh, Coach, I want to introduce you to our new broadcaster, Bill Zimfer. And, I, and he goes, did you broadcast that game when Alabama got shafted up at Penn State? You remember that game? <laughs> that was before I started doing Penn State. But Alabama got ripped off, and Michael Shula was on that well, team. I was going to say, Mike had to be the coach at Alabama at that point. If, that, yeah. That's right. No, he's played, not the coach. Played, he was on the played. team. Oh, that's how, oh, that's oh, how old okay. I am, Seth. But I said, no, coach, that was before me. And from that, that point on, it seemed like I was okay. <laughs> and with the Dolphins, you really had access to anything you wanted. Of course, I was rolling with the Mad Dog. I was going to yeah. say, you had yeah. the all-access pass, yeah. and his name was Jim Mandich. Right. Anytime you were with Jim, you had, you know, carte blanche. You, you, could, you really had any kind of access you wanted. I mean, Coach Shula would let me ride on a team bus if I wanted to, uh, to go different places and things like that. Uh, it was never a problem with that. And it, that was really, you know, really comforting and welcoming to me. So your first introduction to the owner, he's dog cussing your partner behind you, <laughs> and your first introduction to the head coach, the legendary iconic head coach, he's asking if you – Kind of implying that you were part of the reason Alabama got shafted <laughs> in there. That's a, that's a, some welcome to Miami moments. Uh, and, yeah, and, I, and just, I made it. I made it clear I was not connected. Yeah. To that <laughs> that, uh, Even Alabama. if you had called that game, what impact did you have yeah. from the broadcast booth? Is what I want to know. But but if you know, going back to that that '94 home opener, I mean, can you? I know you weren't down here daily and that, you know, you, you did commute and we'll talk about that commute a little bit, but can you talk about the buildup? I mean, Dan Marino had 145 straight games. I think he had played in. Yeah. And while you hadn't called those games, everybody knew who Dan Marino was and associated Dan Marino with the Miami Dolphins as much as any players ever been associated with a franchise. And now it's, is there a chink in the armor? Can he still play? How much of that buildup do you feel going into that game? And how much of that are you now, you're calling this game. And so you're, anybody who's not watching, well, I guess at that time, people sitting in the stadium also were still listening. But if you're not watching that game, we only get to see it, so to speak, through your eyes. How much does all of that that led up to that game impact the way you call a performance like that? 
Yeah, you're never quite sure exactly the way things are going to turn out because, yeah, Dan was coming off the injury, and in the preseason, he didn't play in the first two games, I don't think. Yeah, they had Maybe five the first preseason three. games that year. Yeah. yeah, you're right. The first one was uh, against the Giants up here at the Meadowlands. But Dan didn't play in the first, at least the first two. And when he did play in the first preseason game, I can remember seeing him come out onto the field and, and thinking, wow, he, he's, he's really limping. Right. Noticeably. And how is this guy going to play? Third play of the game. 78-yard touchdown pass to Mike Williams. And I said, okay, I guess everything's all right. And then, but you're, you're still never quite sure in the, because it's preseason. Then you get to the regular season and, hey, you knew right away that uh, this was going to be, this was going to be a big year. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Let's let's go back to Mad Dog a little bit, man, because he's always been one of the guys and yourself that I really enjoyed, like, listening to even when I was done playing. But talk about that relationship a little bit more and how when you came down here, he was already established into the South Florida community in terms of, you know, especially on the radio and, and the business. You talk about the clout that he has. How did you guys build that relationship? It seemed like it had a really good rapport, like, right away. Yeah, it, it was almost instantaneous, OJ. Uh, I, I had not met Jim. I went down early before the first preseason game against the Giants. I, I went down early just to hang around, practice a little bit, and, and talk to people and have people get to know me. And uh, Jim was on vacation or something. And uh, they said, oh, well, he'll meet you up in New York. So I had not even met Jim. I'd spoken to him on the phone, but wow. I hadn't met him until the night before that first preseason game. And it was almost a, an instant uh, rapport that we had in chemistry. And it was a pleasure. The whole time I was with Miami, Jim, kind of, Jim and his family kind of adopted me down there because they knew I was traveling down from Pennsylvania. And uh, we, we would have dinner every, uh, every Saturday night before the Sunday games, and he would pick me up, and we'd go to the games together. A lot of times after the game, we would sit and tailgate a little bit after the games in his, in his pickup truck. Uh, and it really was a, a great relationship. And it got to the point where when we were doing broadcasts, he knew what he could say that would kind of set me off, and I knew what I could say that would set him off. And we would play off each other. And I, I thought at, at some point, I thought we had one of, the, one of the better presentations in the whole NFL. I heard other broadcasters, and there's a lot of talented people around, but I really thought that we had something special there. So the, the whole Penn State-Michigan thing never came into play with you guys? In, oh, in yeah. The group. oh, yeah. Well, no, <laughs> there was a lot of back and forth about that, but nothing ever uh, nothing ever serious. Now, how about a little bit about Jim on the road, though? How about when you guys are on the road? It seems like guys get on the road, and they kind of let loose a little bit, a little bit more, in my opinion. You know, when you're away from home, you, know, you kind of, you know, have a little bit more fun than you do, you know, in the, in the more controlled environment. Yeah, uh, Jim always had it planned out. I mean, I just <laughs> had to, I'd, I'd meet him uh, where whatever city we were in, and uh, he would say, okay, we're going to go to this restaurant, then we're going to go here, then we're going to go here. Okay. 
And most of the time it was a, a fun evening, but we never got to the point where uh, we couldn't do our jobs the next day. Right. Uh, one of my favorite ones was we were down in New Orleans, and uh, of course we went out the night before, and we ended up at Cafe Du Monde at I don't know what time it was, and we're sitting there, and Jim says to the waiter, you know, they have those those hats they used to wear, and he says, how much how much for those hats? And the waiter said, gee, I don't know. Let me check. And he goes back and he says, oh, they're 50 cents a piece. And Jim goes, give us four of those hats. So we put, we're wearing these hats and we go back to the team hotel with these hats on. And we were, most of the time we didn't stay on the same floor as, as the players did. Oh boy! But for this game we were. And we get out of the elevator and Stu Weinstein, the head of security, <laughs> has a table set up right at the elevator there so he could screen anybody coming in. Yeah. And he just he just looked at us and he said, "Looking good, guys. Looking good." And we just walked right by him. But uh, we we had a good time on the road. Tell us a story about Jim doing the post game show from the locker room, and I guess oh. yeah, <laughs> you know where I'm going there, right? I know I, I know where you're going, and you remember this game. It was the game where we thought the game was over, but it wasn't. Oh, New England. New England game. That's right. Yep. That uh, we thought the game was over, that there was a fumble that was recovered by the Dolphins to end the game, and they said no. After I don't know how long, they said no. It was an incomplete pass. Yep. Everybody was already in the locker room. So Jim, doing the locker room show, had al already gone down there. And then we ended up coming out, and it was uh, a bust anyway. Uh, New England tried to, to throw a Hail Mary or something, and it came nowhere close to, to getting where it was supposed to be. So in the meantime... Jim is trying to work his way through the, you know, this is old Foxborough Stadium. He's working his way through the bowels of the stadium, trying to get to the locker room. The first thing he did was he, he goes through this door, and he's in the Patriots locker room. <laughs> and Bill Belichick is just kind of looking at yeah, him. Yeah, and going, they're pissed off. <laughs> yeah, what's going on? So then Jim, he's, you know, he's going through these little catacombs down there, and he's standing there. And someone just says, oh, you have to step back. And they close a door in front of him, and it locks. And he's locked now in a supply closet. Wait, <laughs> and he's, you know, he's got his mic there, and he's talking to yeah, us. He always had his guys. microphone and that cord that wrapped three times around the stadium. Yeah. <laughs> hello, I, I Bill, hello. knocking on the door saying, hello, can somebody? And uh, he, he, he got locked in that closet. Somebody, somebody finally did let him out of there. I had uh, no idea. Some comical moments. Oh, my God. You know, that was, it's funny as you tell, I mean, that's funny for a lot of reasons. And that game in particular, I just remember walking out with Jed Weaver and Kevin Donnelly were just in their towel wraps oh, yeah. and their flip-flops. And it was, it was a chilly yeah. night. Too. It was a chilly night. But yeah. those guys were about to get in the shower. That, the whole thing was, Wanstead was giving his whole speech. All right, guys, and he's rubbing his hand through his hair. And then the referee is banging on the, <laughs> he's banging on the, on the window. There was a tiny little glass window that they had like paper over uh, at the, the locker room door. And he's banging on it. And, and I look out and, and he's banging on the door. I'm like, Stu, you need, and they open the door and he says, you guys got to come back out. So that was crazy. But I didn't even know that Jim was doing that. But Jim, yeah. I don't know how you guys did that. So we do the post-game show now with Travis Wingfield. So after the games, OJ's in the stands, I'm in the press box, and we all kind of race over there in the last couple of minutes. You know the drill. And we get over there for the post-game show. But Jim would come down to the locker room, and he had a wired microphone that was like had 800 feet of cord, <laughs> and guys are tripping over it and the whole thing. And Jim, 
I don't know how how loud his damn headphones were, Bill, but he was screaming into that thing. Hey, Bill. Yeah. Hey, Bill. We got you. Hey, Bill. And you know, and he goes, I'm here. I'm here with OJ McDuffie. Bill. Hey, Bill. And he's screaming, and everybody's like, What the hell's going on? So I can yeah. just imagine him doing that in a closet. It had to be echoing oh. like crazy. Unreal. Unreal. <laughs> you know, there were some there were some classic moments in that post game show. I'm sure you remember the Brian Cox incident in the post game oh, show. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're, uh, yeah, that uh, that was an all time. He didn't mince uh, words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was ninety four. Also, that was nineteen ninety five. There's so many things happened during that season. Oh man, that's too funny. So we covered the start of your first season, the ninety four season, but there were fireworks at the end of that season as well. So you know, I think about the postseason there, and you know, we host a wild card game on New Year's Eve against the Kansas City Chiefs. Joe Montana led Kansas City Chiefs at this yep. point in time. So, Bill, I, your first season in the NFL, that unbelievable game with Dan Marino, and then you are calling Joe Montana's the last game of his career. I mean, that's that's pretty remarkable. And Unreal. then a week later, you're flying down here to catch a charter to go to San Diego. And yep. as much as I hate to bring this up, because Dolphin fans who are listening to this will throw up every time we yeah. talk about it, yeah. but that was a team that probably – was as good as any we've had since then, at least in terms of having an opportunity to get to the Super Bowl and had San Diego dead in the rights. And, and obviously that kick was missed. It was a wide right, I think, by Pete Soyanovich yeah. there. So talk about not only fireworks at the beginning of your career here with the Dolphins, but at the end of that season, those two games back to back. Well, you know, that, uh, that whole season was wild. Uh, not only did you have, you know, Dan coming back and, and going crazy in the first game, uh, we won games in overtime. We lost games in overtime that season. And then the way it ended was, yeah, unbelievable. I- I'll tell you, we at halftime of that game were trying to make reservations for Pittsburgh mm. the following week. We're up 21 to 3 at halftime, yeah. right? Uh, so we're saying, oh, man, we better, <laughs> we-, we better get something in place for the following week. And then, of course, everything kind of fell apart. But th- that whole season was just, ex- you know, one exciting thing after another. And, uh, you know, that probably, of course, naturally, it probably would be one of the most memorable for me. But it it really was for a lot of different reasons. I have a follow-up, Drew. Mm -hmm. So as I'm looking at what looks like maybe press credentials there on your board or what have you, and, and, um, you know, we all remember these games. Are those press credentials? We all remember our experiences for different reasons. OJ, of course, you know, for for all of the amazing plays that he made. and, And my experiences as a PR person are different. As a broadcaster, when I think about calling Dan Marino's first game back, Joe Montana, what a legendary career, and to be there for the last game of his career. How do those things impact you as a broadcaster? How much perspective do you have on that in the moment, or are you just too focused on who's number 27 for the opponent, and I want yeah. to make sure I say his name right when I'm calling play-by-play? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you may think about that before the game and after the game, but once the game starts, it's, it's just a whole different thing. You're so busy with making sure that your call is accurate and you're working with yeah, – at, at Penn State, uh, I did have a spotter and a statistician there, but at uh, with the Dolphins, we just had a tremendous crew there. With uh, my my spotter and my stat guy, were you know they were with us almost every game, not on the road games, but every home game, and our producer. So you got a lot going on in there, 
and you and reading commercials and making sure you're getting the commercial breaks at the right spot and all that kind of stuff. Once the game starts, you're really not thinking about that. You're yeah. just trying to to make the call the best you can and and make the broadcast uh, the best you can. So that kind of all goes away. Now, what I used to do, my normal procedure was when I would be flying home after the game or the next day, I always had the games taped. And I would listen to them oh, wow. uh, to see if there were things I could do better. And, and that's when that, that stuff kind of hits. So you would sell scout like, right. as a broadcast, right. just like OJ's watching tape to make sure that he watches, yep. that he all ran all the, all the right routes and the coverages and all that. You would sell scout and listen to how you could have called the game better or if you were happy with the way you called it? Right, absolutely. There were times where I could say there's a better way I could say a particular phrase or something like that. Interesting. Uh, that I would, I would change the way I would say it or use different terminology because it sounded better. And there might be things where I'll, there were a lot of times where I'd listen and just crack myself up of things <laughs> Jim said or whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it was an important part for me to be able to, I still have, you look here, I still have a lot of these cassettes around. Cassette days, do you have anything oh, you can there. play them in? <laughs> what are you yeah, playing I those do. things in, Bill? I do. This is Dolphins, this is from a Chargers game, that one. Look at that. What else? I, I have boxes of these things. I should go back and look at them. Here's Buffalo. There's a Bills game on this one. I so think we need to get, still see if them. you can transfer those over to something digital. I don't want the. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, I once they break, you're going, you're going to need a pencil, Bill, and you're going to need some <laughs> yeah, Scott's got, tape. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you got to crank the yeah. tape. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, Elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. So, Bill, you know, the following year, you know, we didn't really live up to our, you know, our potential. And this time, you know, we were kind of one and done. We played Buffalo, and they, they jumped on us right away. I mean, it was, wasn't even close. And that game, of course, becomes, the, you know, the final game for Coach Shula that he ever coached. And when you were calling that game, how much can you feel that moment is bigger than the game itself? You know, and how do you balance between keeping focus on what's going on in the game and what could be a bigger picture possibly after that game? Well, uh, it's a good thing about being a play-by-play guy. I can let Jim handle all that mm. stuff. But it was there, OJ. It was, you, you knew at that point. You, and, of course, Jim was very close with Coach Shula. And uh, we, we knew that this was probably going to be it. And you knew that was happening. And uh, to express that uh, probably is very difficult. I don't know that we even did talk about it much after the game uh, on the on the broadcast. I know we did personally uh, between Jim and myself, but uh, that and and an- another similar situation was when Dan hung it up. Uh, we knew that was it. You knew that Jacksonville game was going to be it, but uh, it's it's something that you're aware of, but you don't want to make too big a deal of it uh, because it, you don't want to overshadow other things in the game. Yeah, it was man. I mean, I. I don't know what I felt about that when Big Seth, when I was, you know, after that game, I knew it was a bad L we took, but I was, I didn't expect Coach to be, to not be there the following year, man. It was kind of, it was kind of tough on me. The guy that took a chance on me, obviously, was right. the Dolphins. Right, yeah. 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 First round pick, 
Yeah. <laughs> Bill, see, he's always trying to sneak that first round pick coming in every time he yeah, gets a took shot. A, took a real I, it's like a, like a lawyer. I opened the door for him. He walked right in it. It was, right. it was risky there, that first round pick. Yeah. So, <laughs> too funny. So, well, it was Coach Shula's last game, and it boy, it didn't take long for, for Wayne Huizinga to get up there and introduce Jimmy Johnson as, as the new and the next head coach of the Miami Dolphins. I know what that experience and that transition was like for OJ, and, and that would have been very different from what it would have been like for you or, or me coming in as an intern. But one thing you guys did have in common was the two of you had both been around Joe Paterno. You had both been around Don Shula, probably some similarities between the two. Now, Jimmy Johnson came in with a reputation of being a tough coach as well, and this is an iconic coach as well. But I would say, it's safe to say, a very different personality than the other two guys. What was that like for you? Did, or at what point did you meet or were you introduced to Jimmy? Because you you know, you know, weren't down here daily, so right. did you come down here? Did you meet him for the first time? And then what was that transition like for you as a broadcaster? Yeah, I think it was probably around the draft was the first time that, uh, that I met him because I had to do an interview uh, with him for television and uh, we had some other things going on there too. Uh, one thing about Jimmy is that very, very media savvy, of right. course, and tremendous in that aspect. So he was an easy interview. You knew that if you gave him a softball question, he was going to answer it the way it should be answered, the way he wanted to answer it. You gave him a lot of room because you knew that he was aware of exactly how this had to be done for yeah. broadcast purposes. So very media savvy, but he it was different because, like we said before, with Coach Shula, I had kind of an automatic entry there because of Jim Mandich. It was different with, with Jimmy. It took a while before uh, I got to be uh, you know, kind of on friendly terms with him. Because like all, really, they're, they're in all sports franchises, college and professional, there's always a little bit of suspicion of the media. Uh, and it, it takes a while to get over that and become friendly with somebody. And I think Maybe the time, when was the year we went down to uh, Mexico? Was that 97? As a matter of fact, I have that, I have that credential, 97. Uh, what a we, uh, we spent a lot of time with Jimmy during that trip, and it and, uh, might have been at around that point that we really got comfortable with him. Now, you didn't call the uh, Fiesta Bowl against uh, his Hurricanes, did you? Uh, maybe that's why. No. I... <laughs> <laughs> he didn't confront you in the elevator? No. Did you call that <laughs> yeah. game when we got screwed? Yeah. Yeah. That is funny. Good stuff. You know, don't mind me uh, skipping over the whole uh, yeah. the Jimmy Johnson I think era. Gloss you know, right yeah, over for you. that's not. I'm not too interested too much in that. But uh, <laughs> let's, let's let's jump to December of uh, December 30th, 2000. Dave Wanstead's our head man now, and we go 11 and five and win the division. And um, we're playing against Peyton Manning and the Colts in the playoff game. But the game doesn't sell out. For like, I mean, I was like. The, I don't know how many times it doesn't sell out. Except, I think it was the last. I think they changed the rule after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it didn't like, sell out. A playoff game. And so it was going to be blacked out, which is kind of crazy now. So that'll never happen ever again, right? There were 73,000 people there, but the people that weren't in the stands that were local had to rely on you and, and Mad Dog to give them the play-by-play. -play. Mm -hmm. That's the only way they could hear or pay attention to the game. What, what, what was that like, being a part of something like that? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. When, you, when you're broadcasting a game, you're really not thinking about all the people that are listening to you. But it always used to strike me 
when we would be in the booth and there'd be a break for a commercial or whatever and you'd look down and you'd see how many people had their earphones in or their headphones on listening on the radio and and you realize that there's a lot of people uh, that are that are depending on us to uh, to provide the description of the game, maybe a little entertainment with the game. Uh, and you realize that. You're aware of that. Uh, now, once the action begins, myself anyway, you kind of get caught up in what's going on and you're really not thinking about that at all. But uh, it's, it, you know, it's something that is almost overwhelming. Like, I went back to a Penn State game a couple of years ago, Jay, and the first thing I thought was, wow, there's all these people. Yeah, and you never think about that when you're broadcasting a game, that there's that many people that are there and that many people that could be listening to you, too. Yeah, but that was different, though, because it's I mean, there's normal games and then there's a situation where it's a playoff game and people can't watch the damn thing. Yeah, you know, like that. That's just not a common. This is not something that's going to happen very often. And and so, uh, you know, your call was as important as it ever would be when the stakes were as high as they could be and who you know yeah. last last playoff game that this team would win well yeah and that's the thing about it too that game itself right you know we're down yeah. 14 nothing to the Colts and then right we make game. the comeback and you talk about some overtime overtime games I mean that game was just incredible and for those that you know that didn't show up they the way you guys brought it had to be you know the most impactful for them yeah, uh, yeah, you don't think about that during the broadcast. He's hyper-focused, yeah. man. I, what I'm getting from this whole damn interview is Bill Zimfer, when the lights come on, Bill Zimfer is zeroed, zeroed in. in. He's dialed in, big stuff. Yeah, there's no distraction. I tell you, I guess you could, and I don't know, I never did, but maybe some people, if you know that this is going to be an especially important game listener-wise, Maybe you're thinking of, oh, is there certain, what can I, what kind of, what can I say? Is there some kind of catchy thing I could say? Or I never, I never thought about that stuff. I just kind of let it go and, and did it as it came to me and as my emotions allowed, which sometimes got me in a little bit of trouble, which I'll tell you about (laughs) in a second. But uh, you know anything about that? No, no. I never, I never planned anything out. I never, uh, you know, took that into account. I'd love to hear the call when Lamar scores that touchdown, Big Seth. So we're going to have to find that. Yeah, what do you remember from that? Cassette. You got it on a cassette <laughs> yeah. right there for it. I might have it. Let me look for that one. I might have it somewhere. I'm more, but not that you have them, but I want to know what you play them on. But I, what do you even remember that, that moment? And Lamar Smith bounces it outside there yeah. to the right, 17 yards, and, and scores that touchdown. A walk-off, right? I mean, yeah. you know, how often do you see those? Just unreal. And I still remember – uh, we talked about in the days after that game, they said, you see who led him into the end zone? It was O.J. McDuffie, yeah, taking him, escorting him right into the end zone. Um, but as I look back on that play, I really didn't have a real accurate call of that because to me, it looked like he was just, you know, breaking away from tackles and pulling away. When, if, when you watch the replay, they never really got a good shot at him that he kind of was moving around, moving around, and all of a sudden, bang. Uh, so, uh-oh, yeah, uh, yeah, my call really wasn't accurate on a day when there was a blackout. That's a, once Mad Dog started screaming, it really didn't matter what yeah. you said at that point, Bill, because we had won the game, and he was excited, and I'm sure everybody who was listening was fired up. I want to ask you about the idea of, for eight seasons, you were the voice of this team on Sundays or whatever day the game would be. Um, but you weren't here day to day and you commuted and 
Uh, I heard you on a, on a, in preparing for this, I heard you do another interview where you talked about how in some ways, you know, the guys who are here Monday through Friday doing morning shows, they have to talk about Joe Rose, right? If the team didn't play well, yep. he's got to talk about that all week and then go call the game and, then, you know, and go sit in a production meeting with the coach and maybe he's ripped whatever happened. And, and you in some ways were isolated from that because, you, you know, you only called the games. Um, but in other ways, I, I just wonder if there was any type of, whether there was a struggle or an inner battle for you. Did you ever think, man, maybe I should live down there? Or, you know, what was that dynamic like to, to be so important to the market, but to not really be in the market on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, that was a constant internal struggle for me. Uh, that uh, sh should I be down there more? Uh, I actually did have a plan that uh, as we moved, if, if, if I would have been around uh, for much longer, that uh, I had planned to spend uh, probably the whole football season down south hmm. and then come back up here in the offseason. I never got to that point. In fact, uh, this will tell you what kind of guy Jim Mandich was. Jim said to me, we had talked about it, and he said, you know, he said, I'm making an investment. I'm going to buy a, a condo down in Miami Beach as an investment. He said, it's yours if you want it. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, that was, wow. uh, I, you know, that was part of the long range plan. We just unfortunately never got there. But you're, you're right about, uh, I, first of all, I had no problem staying up to date on what was happening down there. Um, I talked to Jim a lot. Of course, you had newspaper, Internet, you guys in the public relations department. I never had a problem uh, keeping up, up on what was going on down there. But I can remember Armando uh, Salguero one time saying to me when I was down there, he said, sure. He said, everybody loves you. You're not around here. Right. You know. <laughs> so, Those guys are taking I, all the bullets, man. I know. I, I could stay out of trouble down there. Yeah, that is, that's funny that Armando would say that. But that, that is true. And I know that that was a sore spot with the beat writers. And Armando, I don't know if he was beat writer columnist at that point in time. But, you know, those guys are there daily. So they think, uh, understandably, they, don't th they think that anybody who's not there with them in the trenches on the daily doesn't know. But, but that doesn't mean you can't follow the team. It doesn't mean, shoot, I know that Neil and Harvey and I were sending you about 80 pages of a press yeah. release every week. So you, <laughs> you had plenty of reading material to know what was going on. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Bill, you know, you're always going to be a Dolphin or a Nittany Lion, no matter what your address is, my man. But before we let you out of here, you know, we know you've called hundreds of two-minute drills. We know you've done a bunch, seen a bunch of them. But today we're going to put you in a two-minute drill. All right? Oh, all right. All right? And it's just your turn, all right? My favorite part is how <laughs> they react to hearing that. We're going to see how you handle this two-minute drill. And it's, it's real simple. We're going to fire off a few questions for you. And whatever comes to mind, your answers, whatever, uh, is what it is, man. We've, uh, we've had a lot of fun with it. But we're going to see how your two-minute drill would work from the radio booth, all right? And there's Good. a two-minute clock here. You can't see it, Bill, but from what I understand okay. now about you, it doesn't matter. matter. You've blocked out anything that's external. <laughs> You're hyper-focused on the task at hand. I'll that's keep right. my eyes on the clock, okay? I got you I'm on ready. that one. All right, here we go. First question. I understand that in addition to broadcasting, you also enjoyed throwing a little weight around in your younger days. You were a weightlifter. Yeah. What was your yeah. personal weightlifting record? What's the most uh, the record that you're most proud of? Uh, I think my, uh, the thing that I am uh, most proud of uh, powerlifting was uh, my at a body weight of 198, I could squat 560. Ooh. That probably is my greatest achievement. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it's not not world record, 
uh, but it's something that I'm really proud of. Wow. Understandably. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a lot. <laughs> That's I, I wasn't even thinking about the weight room like that. But Damn. anyhow, we're going to run the clock. You're right. You called games coached by three iconic coaches, Joe Paterno, Don Shula, and Jimmy Johnson. If they stepped away from the sideline into the radio booth for one game, who would you have been the most have the most fun with as your color analyst? Believe it or not, it probably would have been Joe Paterno because I the blue white game, OJ. I don't I don't know if you remember yeah. this. We used to broadcast the blue white game, and Joe would come up in the booth yes. with us, and he would uh, he would lay stuff on me like it'd be like a third and one, and he'd say, "What would you do, Bill?" And I'd say, "I'd, I'd play action and throw deep." And he, I like that, you know. He'd say, <laughs> so uh, we had a good time with Joe. Joe Paterno, I would yeah. not have guessed that. So that's a good one. Okay. <laughs> if you could take one thing back that you said on air throughout your entire uh, career, well, let's just narrow it down to your Dolphin days. You could take one thing back that you said on air, what would it be? Easy one. Easy one. And this involves number 81 there. Uh, this was, uh, we had talked to assistant coaches during the week, and one of them talked to us about a, a special teams play they were working on where – They'd put two punt returners back, and O.J. would, if the ball came to him, would throw it across the field. And he said, man, he can really throw. So, don't you know, the following week, punt situation, back go O.J. McDuffie and Terrell Buckley. Ooh. And my enthusiasm just kind of got away from me a little bit, and I said, I know they're working on a play where O.J. throws it across the field. Before the, ha before the play happened. Oh, yes. boy. The next day, it, and and it it didn't it didn't happen because oh. I guess the ball went to to a tee box right. or something. Oh, right, right. And the next day, Harvey Green calls me and he said, "Did you read USA Today?" And I said, "No." There's a little piece in there that says Jimmy Johnson is upset because a a, a secret trick play was revealed oh, by the team's boy. broadcaster. And that little clipping from that USA Today. I used to keep in my football bag. I had it in there for years. Just to remind myself, don't let your enthusiasm get away. That is the two-minute drill. I, I, I would yeah. say uh, the touchdown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah touchdown on that one. <laughs> Bill, man, this was a lot of fun. It's so great to be able to reconnect with you. I appreciate you making the time. I love that you still have those cassette tapes. We need yeah. to tap oh, yeah. into that resource for yeah, sure. For sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I know you're retired now. You've retired from – from radio all together? Yep. Hung it up uh, two years ago after uh, 44 years in radio. Uh, wow. Last four years, I worked for iHeartRadio as, as a national news correspondent, and I had the privilege of going every day. I'd go on with Jimmy Cephalo for How a few that? minutes. Yeah. Another uh, Penn State and, yeah, connection. Yeah, so that was a real there. treat. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, the, the fish tank is now presented by iHeartRadio, so it's oh. like we're all one big family. That's right. That's Good right. stuff. Hey, thanks for diving in, Bill. We appreciate you. Hey, this has been a real treat for me, guys. Great to, great to see you, OJ. Good to see you. You're Seth. now diving into the fish tank. Just like Drew said, thanks for diving into the fish tank presented by iHeartRadio. Be sure to follow us on whatever streaming platform you're using, and don't be afraid to rate the show or leave us a comment. We love your feedback. And remember, you can find us as well as Drive Time with Travis Wingfield and all of our international partners on MiamiDolphins.com.